0: Welcome to Center Saint Sister. I'm Allison Sullivan, and this is a podcast about sometimes saving the world and sometimes just surviving in it. In the next hour or so, we will nurture our friendships, explore our joy, shake our fists, all while trying to serve our God, and most likely, all while wearing pajamas. I hope you hear something that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Center Saint Sister. When I lived in Japan, there was this very famous bridge that people would visit and tour and eat lunch by. It was a very picturesque Japanese scene, the cherry blossoms, the ancient architecture, the girlfriends and boyfriends having dates there. There was a tower that you could hike up to at the very top of a steep hill if you were feeling adventurous. And at night, they would light this tower up so much so that no matter where you were in the city, you could see this great light. I lived in Japan for three years, and when it was time to come back to the United States the last night, I went back to this familiar scene to take it in one last time, and it occurred to me, maybe for the first time, what Jesus might have meant when he talked about a city on a hill in Matthew. A city on a hill when darkness falls around us. I don't think I'm being naive when I say that Bryan College Station has potential to blaze for God's glory. I believe in us to be a city on a hill. But a city requires more than just one light. We matter in a story bigger than just our own. We have to shine together, work together, speak love together in order to be a city lit up for the benefit of the kingdom. We need each other. It would be glorious if all we had to do to light up a blaze was worship God in unity, but the truth is that this world has been ravaged by sin. And among many other things, race divides us. And there is so much hostility around the topic. So many people say race doesn't matter. I was raised to treat everyone the same. I don't even notice skin color. Well, if that's true, if it's really no big deal, then bring it up at Thanksgiving. But you wouldn't want to ruin dinner, right? So see, it does matter. And we have plenty of opinions around it. Racism is such an awful, ugly thing that we refuse to examine it. And I'm convinced that if we could just be a little kinder with ourselves, more gentle, then we could come to some truths a little easier because nothing changes until it becomes what it is. But we're so afraid of being labeled a racist that we have unexamined biases. And we can't ever really get to the bottom of this issue because we refuse to really confront it. When our discomfort is so great that we refuse to engage, an enemy wins. When we dismiss the pain of our brothers and sisters because it's not our own pain or because we don't understand that pain, I am certain an enemy wins. I've reached a place in my spirituality lately where I can't keep the peace over doing what is right. It's not important to me to be blameless anymore. I want to be better. And it is only through documentaries and articles and reading and listening to my friends of color that I have realized that not everyone is able to move effortlessly through this life without ever having to think about the color of their skin and what that might mean. It's so easy for people like me to say that race doesn't matter when their race doesn't matter. I get to choose what I want to know about racism. Getting to choose when and where to speak, it's a privilege. There's that word, white privilege. It is not an insult. I was born into a world where I feel like I belong and that is no small thing, to belong. The Lord wants for us to belong, a godly belonging where we belong to each other The Lord tells us that all tribes, tongues, and nations will come together. And we are distinctive in that unity. Unity containing distinction. That is God's great plan. How beautiful it could be if we didn't let defensiveness or insistence or indignance derail this conversation. Pope John Paul II said that the new charity was dialogue. I love that. Can we just be charitable and listen? We don't have to perfectly agree. We don't have to perfectly agree to be a family. We prove it every night at dinner time. We don't have to perfectly agree who to vote for. My family proves that every night at dinner time. But we do have to show up, preferably kind and committed. And then with the Holy Spirit, can we examine? Can we do that after listening? Because if we could listen and learn from people of color and then examine, I think we will have a few things in place to properly lament. It's a starting place to gathering and weeping with those who weep. And if we are putting our dukes up against weeping with those who weep, this is worth an examination of conscience. As I've gotten pushback, I've received far more encouragement and stories of deep reflection and contemplation, by the way. But as I have been met with resistance, my response has been that perhaps the Lord has us consoling different people. My heart happens to ache for unity. I don't feel like I chose that. I feel like it chose me. So maybe our journeys to him, maybe they're different. And maybe that's okay. But if you're not consoling anyone, and if your heart doesn't ache for anything then you're not in the ring, and I don't want your feedback. I've been accused of being a chirpy optimist, but I think I'm an optimist by faith. I believe in resurrection endings, and I'm convinced that if we could just get closer to people's stories knee-to-knee, not the news, you know, but knee-to-knee, eye-to-eye, I'm convinced that these stories will lead us places we would not choose to go on our own, and my greatest lessons come from the things that I don't choose on my own. I believe in this town to get it right, I just do. I believe in Bryan College Station. I believe that Bryan College Station is ground zero for revival. I believe the Lord is doing a new thing. I believe in new miracles for a new moment, and I believe our town is the city on the hill, blazing for all to see, blazing for His glory. Floyd?
1: Hello, Allison Sullivan. Allison <laughs> Mays Sullivan. I'm <laughs>
0: so happy that you're here with me and willing to do this. Yeah, I, absolutely. We had our live recording. It was probably a week and a half ago now. And um, it was... A lovely event event and let me tell you that ripples throughout our community are happening there have been so many conversations that mm-hmm. wouldn't have been had movies being watched yeah. that would not have been watched i mean there dreams being had there 100%. are like really really specific beautiful details yeah. um that have come because of it and people have been working them out through me by the way oh I, and so I, I
1: don't know if that's good or bad yeah well it's, and it's,
0: it's been an exhausting week and a half which yeah. i i don't say lightly i realize that um as a, as a white woman, um, that that can sound whiny because that is a lo- oftentimes a lot of people of color's existence. Sure. All of these emotions and things um, being worked out through you on a regular basis, if you make yourself open to that. And I know that you have. Hmm. So I want to take a minute to acknowledge um, just your stamina and love for God's people. And um, thank you very sincerely from the bottom of my heart for agreeing to do this um, conversation that is essentially extra.
1: Yeah, well, and look, here's the deal is, it, you said it right, it is a love for, for God's people It is a love for God. I yeah. think we have to, you know, I just, in this conversation sometimes people get in and they, and they hear what you're saying and they feel like, hey, you're trying to create division or mm-hmm. you're bringing up all these things and, and you don't love this and don't love that. And, and this is, come, my, this work comes out of a deep, deep love for God and a mm-hmm. deep love for his people mm-hmm. and pr- pr- particularly a deep love for God's reputation. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the world, yes. right? Uh, the unity of the church Oneness, is a yes. calling on my life, absolutely, uh, and it's really about making God's name famous, as we say in our house. Mm-hmm. Really, just bringing that out. So it's a deep love for that, um, and a re- and a recognition that. Man, if, if, if the church can't have these conversations, who can? Exactly. Right? Like this is... We
0: really should be leading the conversation right. when it comes to manifesting the oneness of the people absolutely,
1: of God. <laughs> absolutely. Right. Exactly. Our, yeah. it, it is a family conversation yes. and the church should and can have this conversation.
0: Well, I know oftentimes, Marcus, you lead out of pain and that is... Um... It's not a tall order because no one's ordering you to do it, mm-hmm. except maybe the Holy Spirit. <laughs> well, and you yeah, you can that. take sure. that up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I know that oftentimes you do. You, you lead out of, out of suffering and pain. And I just, I really um, sincerely want to thank you. No,
1: Thank you. Yeah, that's, we're, we're trying to just, you know, Jesus modeled that for us. And yeah. so everybody has to lead in some aspect of their life out of suffering and pain. And this is, yeah. this is the, the, the one I get to, to bear and do. Mm-hmm. And many of other people of color get to get the opportunity to do. And really people who are in the majority also um, get the opportunity if they if they embrace it to yeah. do the same.
0: And isn't let's let's just start there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you a little bit about um, my journey into this, which is relatively new. Um, so, b- becoming a Christian through Young Life in high school, yeah. um, which was this very happy clappy event. Yeah, sure. Um, a lot of celebration, right. plenty of joy for the gospel to go around, um, and by the way, I mean, religion and and God and Jesus was always spoken about in my home. But there was something about that time in my life, that high school ministry Mm. um, that really brought me face to face with Jesus for perhaps the first time. So it wasn't that I didn't grow up in a church going home. It was just that that was when it really became real for me. And then I went overseas. Yeah. And, I, and I met my husband. Yeah. And I found it really annoying um, that, as cute as he was, he was Catholic.
1: <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, I could really
0: Catholic bash for sport.
1: Okay. You know. Nice. So that's, let's, well, I, I, I got nothing to say about that. Not to say. <laughs>
0: and so. Um, I told him I will read about this. Mm. But I will only make this decision to convert if I feel like this is something that will bring me closer to God and sure. not you. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it yeah. was good yeah. and I hoped that I meant it. I wasn't real sure. He was real cute.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you meant it at the time. Maybe you may think it about it now. It was the right answer. Yeah, yeah, it was for the right sure. Answer.
0: So anyways, but but as as I read some truths that really wouldn't let me go in my Mm -hmm. spirit, there was that tugging in my spirit. Um, I did convert to Catholicism Mm -hmm. and I deeply missed these celebratory roots. Sure. And so in that, in that experience, my life experience, the Lord began to pierce my heart for denominational unity. Right. I thought we had so much to learn from each other Mm -hmm. with a foot in both circles. I could really see the need for us to come together. As you say, um, This isn't political, but in the aisle, if you will. And then just, you know, taking the gospel back to our camps and, Mm -hmm. and, um, and really getting a fuller picture. Right. Okay. Then, you know how, when something is true with a capital T, it's true everywhere, everywhere all the time. And so then unity and general, the oneness of the people of God Mm -hmm. began to weigh very heavily on me. And that included race and that included gender Mm -hmm. and that included age. Mm -hmm. Um, and so unity, like you, we have a similar calling um, by God. My heart is broken for the division right. um, that that I see in the church. And what a this is how I wanted to start. But what a privilege that is yeah. that I could get to this point in my life. Yeah. And and honestly say, well, I don't think race matters. Mm. And and I, as I sat in the live recording, I knew that there were a handful of people sitting in that audience thinking to themselves, why, why are we doing this? Right. I thought, I don't, I have an open mind and I'm careful with my language. Yeah. What else is there? And when we define prejudice as hate and discrimination as violence, right? What that allows us to do is separate ourselves from it. And so my question to you is, why do we, need to talk about this and that's kind of a big question but can we start there with those maybe five to ten people sitting in the audience that night going this feels unnecessary
1: yeah Mm. that is a very broad question there's so many reasons uh why we need to talk about it (sighs) I I, I think if I'm thinking about the question right now the place that immediately came into my mind was thinking about the, the the problem of pain um, the areas of pain. I think about this a lot in my work and external focus and the job that I have and really just trying to figure out a way to reveal <clears throat> to the congregation that I get to be a part of the pain points in the community. Mm. And, and so when I think about, like, why are we having this? is because we have people who we call brothers and sisters uh, in this country that are saying, I'm hurting here.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm experiencing hurt. I'm experiencing pain. I'm experiencing oppression, mm-hmm. these types of things. And, and so that should in and of itself make us perk up and go, wait a second, my brother and sister, you're feeling pain and hurt. I, I, I'm supposed to, as a fellow believer, bear those burdens with you. So tell me about that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that's the first place I think we need to start is that there's people who are, who are expressing, I'm experiencing pain here. Um, and and the, the, the difficulty, I think, is that, is that we don't always believe them. And mm-hmm. uh, we believe in some ways that they are bringing up something for the purpose of, you name it, you know, power and influence and those kinds of yeah. things. But if we can, again, this is why the church is a good place to have it. If we believe that that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ and we see the pain in our brothers and sisters, then we should be talking about it. Yeah. So that's at a very root level. Yeah. Um, there's also, I think, you know, part of the conversation that you're alluding to is people are going, why are we talking about this now? Didn't this get done with? Like, what are we doing here? And, is this
0: a liberal myth?
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, is this something that has just been made up? And I think what's bringing the conversation back into the light or continuing or, yeah, back into the light as it, it never was out, but it's being brought into light is we're we're continuing to see um, disparities um, between, uh, just very frankly, people who are in the majority culture, the white culture, and those who are people of color, particularly black and Latinx uh, members of the society, we're continuing to see disparities that have always really existed. So you'll hear things like the wealth gap and the um, opportunity gap and education gap. And what I think the problem was is when, whenever, <laughs> whenever that was that people go back to in which they think that all of this uh, racism and, uh, you know, injustice was obliterated. Most of the time when you have that conversation, they'll take you back to the 1960s. They'll be like, hey, in the 1960s, we obliterated all this stuff, right? right. And so you can go back and you can look at the disparities, particularly between white and uh, black and Latino, and and you go, okay, so the disparities were large. There was a huge gap, right, between assets and whatnot. And as you go along, if we truly obliterated it, what you think you'd see is start to see a closing in this gap where we find this trueness of equal, equal opportunity, equal uh, access to wealth, equal access in, in, uh, experience and experience in education. But what we're finding is that gap is actually growing larger. Um, and so we're, we're having to sit back and go, OK, why is this happening? Is it that white people are generally just awesome and continue to be awesome and then the inverse is? Uh, And that black and Latino folks are just really terrible, right? Um, Or is there something else going on? And in that first conversation, it's reminiscent of the way that our society has worked when we talk about um, supremacy or inferiority and uh, and superiority complexes. Um, We are seeing those things where it, it appeared we grew up in a society that told us that to be white was to be superior and to be anything other than white was to be inferior. And so we're left with that. It, that we're left with just that piece. If we don't try to figure out aspects of, of, um, of say a privilege that's being perpetuated over time, right. and so that's where it's coming out. Is there's this pain that's out there. Yes. There's these disparities that are there, and people are pointing and going, why isn't this being fixed? Because it's actually growing. Right. Um, and we go, I thought we had more opportunities, but we're seeing less. Right. I thought we had more access to education and more support in education, but we're seeing less. Yeah. Or what we're seeing is lots of that influence, uh, money, resources is still going into predominantly white communities. Right. Uh, so, and that just continues to produce hurt in cycles of poverty and cycles of hurt in yeah. our society.
0: Robin D'Angelo is... She has a PhD in whiteness studies.
1: Right. Awesome.
0: (laughs) And she just has really, really great lectures that I've been listening to lately. And she was talking about... I don't know if this is her image or someone else's. But she was talking about a canary in a cage. And the door to the cage is open. Mm -hmm. And you could get this really, really close-up view of the canary in the cage. And you could see with your close-up view, your myopic view... Um, no bars, and, and you could look at the bird, and you could say, what is wrong with you, bird? Fly mm-hmm. out. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. But if you take one step back, maybe even two, maybe even three, you'll start to see a larger grid of something that is in place mm-hmm. called oppression. You, you brought up that word. And you can see that, that there are systems in place, placed by whom? Majority culture. Yeah. There are systems that are put in place. And while you're, you're right, the door is open, mm-hmm. but these systems in place, it's not that they make it impossible for the bird to get out, it's that they make it unlikely. Mm-hmm. And so I think that a lot of times, um, white people who want to move on from this race topic too quickly, who want to wipe our hands of a devastatingly ugly past, mm-hmm. um, will, will take kind of a, a sigh of relief, whether they agree with them or not, with Obama, right? Yeah, sure okay, we're done with that now. We're done with that now. We can finally move on. This is over. Why is that? Can you speak to that a little bit? Because I do think that this is a common white sentiment. We've had a black president.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. To talk about um, having a black president is, uh, it's an extremely interesting conversation because I too, you know, being able to, to step up and see a, a, <laughs> for all intents and purposes, a black man step into the White House was a, an amazing feat, um, and an amazing one for our country. There's a couple of pieces that I think have to be articulated in the midst of it, um, <laughs> and it's it's going to sound terrible, right? But we're friends. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's interesting to me that the first black president we have is a biracial man, mm-hmm. right? So there's this aspect that he brings with him that is acceptable mm-hmm. to our culture and an aspect that mm-hmm. is unacceptable.
0: Some rewards of conformity?
1: Yeah, yeah. And um, what, what we loved about Barack Obama was his calmness. He was articulate. Mm-hmm. He was a good speech giver. Um, he was well-groomed. Fresh-faced, young, vibrant, he had just enough coolness to make him separate from mm. other previous presidents, presidents. But he had all the, the 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 visual and and audible trappings of sort of assimilated American society. So he was a very he was a very assimilated version of of blackness. Mm. Um, is this
0: controversial, what you're saying
1: right now? Yeah, yeah, yes. for sure. Okay. Uh, no, you know, the black community would talk about it, too. They, look, they would say the same about me, uh, just when they hear me speak uh, and maybe seeing me as being married to a white woman. I'm a very sure. acceptable, uh, quote-unquote, acceptable black person for white people. I always, I, I say it sometimes when I do a panel. I'm a smooth taste uh, for white people, uh, which is, it, it's, 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 it's easy to, I, I go yeah. down easy. Uh, I I know how to maneuver that space well enough that I can maneuver in white spaces with very little with very little issue. It's only when I take stands that are that seem to be more black that all of a sudden all the areas of whiteness that I exist in have issue. Right. right? right. And so you saw the same in aspects of Obama, right? There's always gonna there's there's this liberal uh sort of agenda, people like the idea of a newcomer coming in they like the idea of a black president a latino president a woman president right there's there's always this group that is pushing for sort of that minority which is great i think it's fantastic so you're going to have people going but then there's always uh, at least in my experience too if you play the right kind of black person you become very endearing to the culture as a whole Mm -hmm. um and so and so, I think Barack was able to do that. You get
0: to wear the badge of not being a racist without ever being uncomfortable without ever sacrificing right
1: right, right. because he doesn't because particularly Barack didn't make you feel that uncomfortable except when he did it. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so uh, some of the things when people talk about Barack and they talk about his presidency, particularly in this area of race i 'll hear people say he's trying to he tried to cause division uh in the country like when he when um, uh, um Uh, Trayvon Martin got shot and he stood up in front and he said if I had a son he would look like Trayvon Martin people Mm -hmm. were like "Ah, how dare you say that you're gonna separate the country you're causing division in the country right Mm -hmm. uh because what he what did he do he stepped in and claimed himself as black in front of the whole country Mm -hmm. and sided if you will Mm -hmm. with with blackness Mm -hmm. in front of the whole country um when he stood up after Ferguson and kind of chided the 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 police department in Ferguson, like that was again a a way in which he stepped away from um, uh, whiteness and and into blackness, and he caught all kinds of flack for that. And you could just track it through his presidency, like, and even through his his uh, when he was going through the election. I mean, that was a big thing. People, you saw, and I've, I've I read uh, Michelle Obama's book Becoming, mm-hmm. which was fantastic, and she can even walk you through aspects of when. She would act and do things that were black, how everybody destroyed her in the Mm -hmm. media. And they tried very hard to latch on to black things. Is he a citizen? Right. Is she a militant black woman? Right. They tried their best. But this couple just happened to be able to particularly Barack. He is a he is an enigma. Right. He was able to traverse all of that stuff. And partially, I think, is because he was biracial he had done his cultural identity had to include both white and black and his his uh, context in which he grew up and was mostly with his white mother uh, and even his father who wasn't even african american but was african which is a whole other yeah. situation so uh, I, it does appear as if we have elected a black president but we really elected a a a a, a assimilated white man in a black uh, in a black skin. And I say that as a person who knows how to do that. Yeah. If you talk to Barack Obama away from, probably the Lime Night and all the kind sure. of stuff, you would find there's another layer to him. Yeah. And when that ever appeared is when he got in trouble. Interesting. You. So, yeah, so I think it's it's not quite, yeah. you know, it's, it's not fully living into blackness in that presidency.
0: I know that you're not supposed to take your own um, circumstances, and re- I know that in the race conversation, you're not supposed to do what I'm about to do, but All it's right. you, and so I'm going to do it. All right, fair
1: enough. <laughs> is
0: that okay? <laughs> That's relational equity right there. <laughs> I don't
1: even know what you're going to say, and I'm like, I'm still in. We're still well, friends, and whatever So it is.
0: I I have Protestant circles, I have Catholic circles. And I love my Protestant circles. I'm fed greatly by my Protestant circles. And my Protestant circles love that I'm Catholic because they get to kind of wear this badge of, of ecumenicalism.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, um, and the second that I get too Catholic, yeah. people sit up a little straighter.
1: Right.
0: Like, well, now why'd you have to go, go and talk and about Mary? Yeah, we, yeah. Were we were so doing so good. We were doing great here.
1: Yeah. Did you not see? We were doing well, we were eating well. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I'm really not equating the, the pain, the pain factor, and no, the identity factor. No, but the, the analogy is But helpful. the analogy, yeah. Mm. Um, so I just listened to William Matthews, who is lovely and has um, a new album out. It's called Cosmic. Everybody should check that out. But he is a black man who works well in white spaces, and he never felt the discomfort of his blackness. Um, because white people, I'm using his words here. Um, he said that he was kind of floating on a white privilege credit card check.
1: (laughs) Mm. (laughs) It
0: was like white people had kind of co-signed on his whiteness. Those are his words. And, um, and so, and they treated him as white Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and he was talking about how whiteness can be a really inclusive power structure. But here's the point when it chooses
1: sure
0: so let's think about women's suffrage for a minute i mean we gained the right to vote in 1920 Mm. okay who gave us that right yeah men yeah men gave us that right and so the question is could men take it away Mm -hmm. they could they could yeah because congress is 80 percent 80 percent male All, um, you know, Fortune 500 is like 98% male. Right. The presidency, 100% ma- right. male. Now, right. will they? No. Could they? Yeah. Yes. Why? Because there is institutional power. Right. Robin DiAngelo also talks about Jackie Robinson talking about how he, he broke the color line, right? Hmm. And so she she kind of paints this this um, as a, a black baseball player. Yeah. Um, but she kind of c- creates this image of him like running through this ticker tape.
1: Yeah.
0: It's happened. It's uh, yeah. Okay. The he- And so the headline is that Jackie Robinson breaks First, the color yeah. line yeah. or whatever. Okay. The real headline should be white people allowed, allowed Jackie Robinson to play baseball. Correct. Since you brought up Trayvon Martin. Yeah. And other um, young, black, unarmed, mm-hmm. shot in the back men. Um, and I want to say this as carefully as possible. Mm-hmm. Because... Police officers put their lives on the line every single day. They're first responders and they're heroes in our community. But I want to offer this, if I may. Mm -hmm. If you have a profession that works with children, you have daycare workers, you have camp counselors, you have teachers. Wouldn't it be possible, perhaps even likely, that people who are inclinated to abuse or harm children would be drawn to those professions. Isn't that possible? Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. I was okay? a children's minister for eight years, and, and we, we...
0: And we so you have really stre- yeah, tight screening, screening, right? Yeah, for sure. Because right. it is very important that we protect our children. Right. Okay, so if we have a profession mm-hmm. that is not just... Um, that not just permits violence, but really necessitates it. Yeah, isn't it certainly possible that right. you have people drawn to the profession who are likely to abuse power?
1: Yeah. Isn't that possible?
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely.
0: And absolutely. so what can we do to better protect our brothers and sisters of color? How can we screen? How can we train? And and so to you say the words police brutality. We, we have relatives who are police officers. Right. We have husbands mm-hmm. who are police officers. We hear this and instantly get anxious now i let's we can talk about fragility in a minute no, but sure, but there's yeah, this yeah. white response of deep discomfort do we have to talk about this
1: yeah yeah we have to and, and it's hard i mean I've, I've had the conversation with many people i remember asking a friend of mine like why is it that people who are white get so bent out of shape when you start talking about their police officers and and he would say because i grew up believing that they were the heroes of our society right yeah. Uh, same with our, our military I grew up believing these are the heroes of our society so these are the Captain Americas uh, of society that they, they they don't do wrong they're incapable yeah. of doing wrong they are heroes so it's this training that we've had and that's not the consistent I mean that's not what I learned about police officers growing up although I respected and wanted them around uh, wanted in a sense of I wanted the I understood the, the necessity for Uh, a group of people who can protect and serve if you will uh in the society um there the fear of the police was constantly um in my whether it was projected upon me and even experienced by myself um it it was always there and it even continues to be there to this day sure um and and even i mean even more so now right when you're all these things that are being caught on video. On like you video, hear the stories, we have our
0: computers in our pockets. Right, we yeah. can see
1: this and people are recording it, yeah, right? And we're seeing yeah, yeah. we're seeing the types of folks who are getting shot. It was one thing when you had people who were fighting the police and they're trying sure. to protect themselves, those sure. kind of things. But even then, what you see now is you see policemen and people entering into spaces and causing ruckus, getting this person into an argument, into a fight, and then shooting them and saying, self-defense. And you go, wait, but you, you approached them. Right? I like think like we talk about Trayvon Martin. We talk about this guy Zimmerman, right? Who was the security guard. And he said, I, I see these guys come through all the time. I'm going to approach him. And the police are going, Don't approach him, sir. We don't need to do that. No, I'm going to do this. He does it, gets into a fight, has more than he can handle. And then he shoots the kid because he was getting, the kid was beating him in a, in a fight he started. Mm-hmm. And then gets that protection of, you know, he gets to protect himself because he was getting beat up. Um, it's those types of things that, that again, when, you, when I look at, I have black sons and I'm going, Oh my gosh, like this kid happened. And really the one that messed me up, honestly, is uh, Philando Castile. Messed me up because Mm -hmm. this dude is, he's in the car with his girlfriend, presumably his wife, the police officer doesn't know, and and a four-year-old girl in the back seat, presumably his daughter, the police officer doesn't know. So this guy is literally getting pulled over for some random traffic stop and he's got his family in the car. He does what he's supposed to do and he even does what he's not supposed to do and say, hey, I just want you to know I have a firearm in my car. Right. So he's trying to do all the right things. And at the end of it, he gets shot seven times in front of his girlfriend, presumably his wife and child in the, in the policeman's eyes. Right. And we're and then, then we're on Facebook live, like in the aftermath of that, like trying to go, what just happened? And, and I think, man, if, if a guy like that can get shot, then anybody can. Now, I can. And so it is always it is it's fearful. Like you're just <laughs> you just you just every time, you know what I mean? You just never know. It is a it is a scary deal.
0: I want to tell you how this switched for me, um, because the, the white response, I'm emotional, I'm sorry, but, um, the white response is, well, what did you do? Mm-hmm. Well, 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 you know, so right. there, there's gotta be a, a reason for this. And, um, it switched for me. There were probably a couple of events all happening, um, around the same time. But one of them is a, a person that I went to middle school with who I, I love. We stay in touch. He's an African American male. And, um, and he was explaining over Facebook that if his house got broken into, he would not call the cops, Mm. that that is not his, um, knee jerk response.
1: Right.
0: And it was enlightening to me because that's absolutely what I would do. Sure. That is, that is my knee jerk. And so just to, (laughs) this sounds very pedestrian, I realize, but just to step back and realize that everyone's experiences are not your experiences. Right. I mean, sorry that that was profound. (laughs) Um, but, but then also... Um, a dear friend of mine, Kelly Holly, who really started me um, on this journey in, in a more um, dedicated way, was explaining to me the links that she goes to um, to ensure that her husband has everything he needs when he's driving. Mm-hmm. Everything is very accessible. His yeah. book fold is, is on the console. There's no digging in yeah. the car ever. Right, right. That um, if there she wants cereal at 9 o'clock at night, he's not going out to get milk. That's not happening. Yeah. And, th- and they're out of milk. And then... Your precious wife told me something. She was talking about how um, if they're driving and their car runs out of gas and their cell phone's dead, they can't go knock on anyone's door for help.
1: Right.
0: You can't do that. You can't go knock on someone's door at night after help. You don't have that privilege. Mm-hmm. And the reason that all of that impacted me was because I have relationships with all of those people. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think that our heart is ever going to break over this issue. If you do not believe that there are systems of oppression in place that hold people back, if you do not believe that there are disparities in our country, then your circles are not wide enough. And you need to include people of color in your circles so that your heart can break over this why so that we can do something about it so that we can restructure these systems
1: yeah and and there's and i appreciate what you're saying too it's along with that getting them in your circles is one thing but it's also believing that what they say is true right like i can't tell you how many times as i'm articulating some of the things that i'm going through and people will go is that is that really what's happening as if I am not, uh, our black people are not astute enough to uh, sort of name their own experiences. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and I use a lot. Of, I always kind of say it like this: like you know, I get to preach in front of uh, of thousands of people, and um, and predominantly white, and and I unpack and I exegete the word of God all the time, uh, with very little question. Right? Uh, they like, oh my gosh, that was good. They believe what I tell them uh, when I'm exegeting the words of God. But if I exegete the words of God And I say something about my experience as a black person All of a sudden that is something that they don't believe That's something that they go Wait, I, I don't know about that right? So mm. how is it that you uh, you Have no problem yeah. exegeting the word of God to you Which is really valuable, you need to know But when I exegete my own personal experience All of a sudden I don't know what I'm talking yeah. about um, And again, and there's Look, and to be fair, there's aspects Of personal experience that black people have That we, we put and pro- project on ourselves Some of it's not Some of it is is not true in that we are assuming that it's happening, but because we've seen it so many times, we are putting up this protection. Okay. So if I'm going, so if my car breaks down in the middle of the night and I have to go to somebody's door, I have to go, and I have to, and I need to knock on the door, I'm doing all kinds of different things to make myself safe and make the people feel safe. I'm standing way back in the door, my hands are exposed, I put on my white man smile, you know, I put I, my bass takes out of my voice and I come up here and I go, "Hey, hi, hi, I'm good to see you. I'm sorry, my car's uh, just had in. I'm sorry, it's silly. It's, I know it's late. And, um, but if, yeah, I don't know if you have any hands. Maybe, maybe if you, you don't even have to, if you can bring your cell phone out, I can use your cell phone out here. I don't get have to come inside, right? I understand the, 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 all the uncomfortability that goes on with that. And I'm always working to make sure that wherever I am, everybody feels good. And that's what I have to do all the time. Right, if I'm having a conversation, a confrontation with someone, uh, particularly if it's a female, like I have to I have to use certain voices and I have to kind of be able to th- to slow down and breathe and those kind of things and with a man, the same thing. And even in my neighborhood, when I walk at night in my neighborhood, which I there's seventy-seven houses in my neighborhood, most people know me in that neighborhood, but it's dark, right? And people don't recognize black people. If they don't see a lot of black people, they just, you know, is that Marcus, is that somebody else? And I walk in the middle of the street, whistling. Are singing something happy, right? Just so that if they happen to see me, if they're on the porch, that they'll do that. And I, and I try to dress a certain way if I can, right? I don't want to be too, too relaxed in there. But I try to whistle and laugh and just keep things, you know, feeling like, oh, this is not a threat to me. And that's just how I have to do life, you know, just any kind of place. So, I have a question. Yeah.
0: Is, are you able to navigate that well because your EQ is off the charts? emotional quotient, just oh. how smart you are interpersonally? Or is every black man able to, to do that and do that well? Is that, are, are, the, are, the, are, are African-American spaces pulling people aside to say, hey, this is how this needs to go down? Or are you just naturally good at that because?
1: Huh. Yeah, yeah. There, look, there's lots of discussion and talk about it for sure. Um, I am a, an interesting case because I grew up not, we all are growing up in whiteness, if you will. Sure. But I grew up in proximity to it as sure. well. yeah. And so th- there's proximity privilege that goes along with that. There's okay. some wonderful things in which networks, in which I, I'm able to maneuver a bit and I have access to. Um, but I also learned, and you said this earlier, um, because I was able to uh, assimilate myself in such a way, I became almost invisible as a black person in spaces that are white And so then they would start talking about things as white people tend to talk about things with all white people, forgetting that I was black. And so I would hear how they were describing people of color, I would hear how they were reacting to them, and I would start making mental notes about how I need to do life wow. away from spaces that aren't familiar to me or wow. that don't have familiarity with me. Yeah. And Lisa says that all the time. My wife, she's just like, how do you know white people's minds so well? Mm. <laughs> I like, because I grew up. I wow. know I know, I know, know yeah. it because I had to do it to survive. Yeah. And so, yeah, so my IQ is off the charts in that sense because of my experience. But there's okay. also conversations when you get with uh, black people. And look, I didn't grow up in this way where I had a lot of black people to hang out with. It would only be at certain times but there's conversation that we have about, like, hey, don't do that, right? Hey, don't... Remember, you can't do that. My dad would pull me aside. Uh, he said, look, you got all these white friends, and they're going to want to go do all these different things. They're going to want to go trespass and jump fences and things like that. You cannot do that. Yeah. Because if you get caught... Yeah. You will be punished worse than they will. Yeah. Is that true? I don't know. But he mm-hmm. had it enough. He had experience enough to yeah. kind of go, I need you to know that. And so I was very, very cautious yeah. of my spaces, right? And we grew up in high school, right? And I don't know. We didn't hit all the parties. But I was rarely at many of the parties because I was like, if something goes wrong here, I could be the one, um, you know... Punished for this. In fact, we saw this in East Dallas with Jordan Edwards, I think is his name. It's a kid, part, and somebody got shot, a, or a, a gunshot happened in the house. This dude was doing what he was supposed to do just to leave. I'm leaving. I'm leaving He's the party. Leaving. And a police officer gets there and shoots into a window into of a car, car, moving away. Now, why did that happen? Because this was not the policeman's neighborhood. He didn't have, he didn't have, um, he didn't have roots here. He didn't care about the neighborhood. The people there didn't look like him, and he had no access or, or not a lot of uh, uh, relational connection to people who look like him. So it made sense for him to shoot into a car of people who didn't look like him. Yeah. If they looked like him, he would have not done that. Right. Right? And so you hear that, and you learn that, and now parents see that happening, and they start to train their child accordingly. Sure. Like, okay, when you're at a party, <laughs> like, I don't know what the training is now. When you're at a party and something goes down, it's probably safer for you to stay there so that at least the police see you are there and they can deal with you there as opposed to when you're running away. Right. Uh, So I don't know. But that's what you have to kind of think through now is like, okay, now how do I train my child? Um, And look, I hear, I know what the pushback is because I've said this on a sermon here before and people came up to me and they're like, well, I had conversations with my kids about, or my parents had conversations with me about how to act with police officers and how to act in certain spaces. And my push is like, I don't doubt that they did that because people want you to act appropriately with people in authority. But I doubt, and at least the people I've talked to, the parents weren't doing that so that you would come home that night. They were doing that so you wouldn't embarrass them, so that you wouldn't disrespect the uh, police officer and maybe not end up in jail. They got to bail you out. But when my parents had that conversation, it's because they were trying to give me keys to survival. They wanted to make sure I came home because that's, that's one of the primary options that you have when you get pulled over. <laughs> it could, that is a legitimate option of any black person when they get pulled over. And that's one of the, the aspects of the disparities, too, is when you, you know, people talk about white privilege. One of the, 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 the proofs of white privilege is when you don't have to think of a random traffic stop as a potential end of your life. If you don't have to ever think about that, that's just a privilege that you get that I don't get.
0: Right. There was a a home being renovated in our neighborhood, and Seth and I were walking the dog and... um And we walked up, we wanted to see the inside, what they did. And so we walk up to this house and we're peering in the windows like this. Oh (laughs) my (laughs) gosh.
1: My heart is stopping right now. Just fear. And we stopped and we
0: made that acknowledgement that, wow, this is a privilege. So let's, let's, let's. I'm not even breathing right now. Like I'm just, (laughs) like
1: I'm just imagining like never, I would never do that. Yeah. that is the scariest thing you just uttered to me. Wow. Oh my gosh! So, um,
0: <laughs> and and I mean, we went around the back. We oh were... my gosh! Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, no, he's like boosting me oh, up. I mean, my word! I can't even. <laughs> this imagine. was an involved process. Oh, we were unabashed. So, um, oh man. So let's let's talk about privilege real quick, and we'll probably kind of close on this. Um, but so so white privilege is a very significant part of the of the race conversation, mm. and yet you can't. Put the words together without, you yeah. know, people kind of putting their dukes up a little bit. And we did cover this in the live recording, but yeah. I want to back up just a little bit because there's cosmetic things. You know, sure. I can walk into Target and yeah, I sure. can I can find the shampoo I like. Right. But then there's, um, you know, really heavy things like mistaken identity mm-hmm. as, as just a little precursor to, to white privilege. Cause we do get more in depth in the live recording. I think that it's important to, to just get out there, um, in a really succinct way mm-hmm. that, um, the power of normal, there's the power of normal. You just went into really great depth talking about all the ways that you had to navigate what's normal. The the majority culture decides what's beautiful. The majority culture decides, decides what's normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we put it that way, because that's, a, that's a really simple ex- explanation, but what white ears are hearing when they hear the words white privilege is you're taking away the things that I've earned. You're telling me that I've been handed things my whole life. And I don't like that assertion because I've worked really hard and life has been hard. Mm-hmm. So can you give us just a little more light into white privilege before people hear more of it?
1: In the yeah. Life, in yeah. The live recording? yeah. I'll try to remember what we talked about in the live recording. Uh, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. If yeah. There's repetition. Um, yeah, I, you know, obviously, one of the, the, the hardest parts about white privilege is the two words, right? White, which most people who are white don't actually associate themselves as. They, they don't see themselves as white. They
0: race did. is something else, Race right? is something else. I'm just,
1: <laughs> I'm just normal. I'm normal. I'm normal, right? Uh, and so You're that's the one with all the race. Exactly, right? And so that's where, you know, cultural identity work is so important in this conversation because you have to be able to understand yourself and how you fit into the ethnic conversation because everybody does. Uh, whiteness uh, just like blackness is a racial construct. it's a societal construct that we've created. Uh, but whiteness has had the opportunity and the privilege to be able to determine that that is a thing uh, that race is a thing that created it and then create and then to determine who gets to do what in the midst of that construct. Um, but all that to go back to whiteness it, it, the people struggle with it because it's you're thinking of yourself as an individual and when you talk about white privilege, it's a really a group concept right It's just again, it's it's uh, invisible uh unearned rights uh and advantages given to uh systemically or systematically given to a group a uh, people a group a group members of the white majority race and so um all the things that we're going to talk about in the podcast are just mm-hmm. just ways to fire, yeah. you know that kind of stuff yeah. uh i think what's helpful possibly for folks as they're getting into the conversation is to really understand even the historical understanding of it real quick um this concept of what we're talking about in white and black it's not an um, it's not it's not an american construct only and it's not only come about in the last 100 and 120 years mm-hmm. right you can go all the way back to the time of aristotle which is pre christ and you can find philosophers and people making delineations based on people's color people's mm-hmm. skin and they call it climate theory Hmm. Um, and it's basically this idea of those who live in places that have a lot of sun they get darker skin hmm. uh, and they are pr- prone to laziness because the sun is hot and you don't like to work out in the sun they don't wear a lot of clothing so they're prone to be more sexually promiscuous um, they tend to be uh, uh, weaker in some areas because of the, the breaking down of their, the sun on their skin, uh, they tend to be uh, unintelligent because of whatever, Like these are the types of things that are associated and then they said if you grew up in a place that has less sun, that where your skin is is lighter, then you're stronger and braver because you brave more cold, and so your skin is tougher because it's had to contract and back and forth between coldness and hot. Um, you're more intelligent because you uh, haven't had, or you you have a better work ethic because you're able to work better. You don't have to worry about being lazy under the sun. You're less sexual because you're able to have more modesty, uh, and if you take all those descriptions. And just run them through history, you will find, even as you get right to now, you will find that there are still people alive who hold to those same ideas and thoughts about people who are white and people who are black. Black people are lazy. Why can't they just get out of their own, pull their own bootstraps? Uh, They're just very sexual, you know what I mean? They're always having babies and these kinds of things. Uh, They're very prone to criminality, right? Because uh, of whatever those things have to do, they're prone to these kinds of things. Um, and so that idea of white and black has been going on since before Christ and it can follow its way through um, man you can get into beast theory and uh, you know zarara Gomez Zarara and the Nate and the first slave trade and how they did it. Mm. Whiteness has been something that's been going on and the privilege, if you will, is if you are associated with the lighter skin color, you just get more benefit of the doubt wow. right and the people who are determining that, are the same people who are giving benefit of the doubt oh, sure. Sense, right, right, so, right, right. So black people have, and people of color have, have had very little opportunity to sort of speak into what that looks like. Yeah. And this is also why we're having a struggle right now. Um, you know, going back to being Obama being president, when Obama became president, what it did is it opened up this opportunity where black people thought we're being included. We can actually speak into the issues because now we've got someone in office who can speak in for us. Uh, and there'll be black people who go, he didn't speak enough for us, those kinds of sure. things. But he was speaking in spaces where he he determined who was included. It used to be like the white people determined whether he could be included. But now he was the one determining who could be included and in what we were going to talk about. And I think that drove some people crazy. And so the privilege now, uh, in that sense, felt like it was going away because now we don't get to control all the spaces. We have this black person in the office who's controlling all the spaces. We can't, in our eyes, we think we can't do much about it. But people say, oh, but we had Congress, so we can do that. Anyway, so there's just understanding this history. That's just the kind of the way that's made. Wow. And like we say in the podcast, it's a majority culture of society. Yeah. So as you mentioned earlier, if all the people who are wider in power, if they are the ones who are in the spaces where the hands get raised and they make up the majority of that space, yeah. things are just going to be worked out for them. Right. And so I don't think this is something, it, it definitely comes off as a pejorative right it definitely comes off as a negative almost some people use it as a as a an attack you and your white privilege i don't love that um because i think it actually uh yeah i don't love that people make it a negative weaponize it it, it. it, yeah although because
0: it's it's not an insult
1: right well for some people they use it (laughs) yeah but they're using it as
0: an insult and that's the problem yeah Yeah. and again i mean well i mean
1: well yeah and if you think of yourself as not white right because you think of yourself as an individual so you're not part of a group and you think of yourself as not privileged, right? You think I earned all this stuff. And everybody knows nobody earned anything on their own, right? You just, the way life works, you always have somebody who has either given you life, given you, nurtured you in life, given you opportunities, and then you were able to make up, make stuff out of that for sure. Um, but in our society, what we are even saying is that benefit of the doubt even puts you in spaces that people who have color can't even get to. Just by your name, just kind of, if your name is the wrong name, you get cut out of things because people assume, oh, that sounds uh, Montel Jackson. There's very significant research on this. Very significant. <laughs> like it's, and this is the thing. is, And here's, here's one of the problems. There's significant research and significant uh, opportunities for people to, to follow this up and see. But people don't actually want to educate themselves on this.
0: So, I, I and I think this is important. Yeah. If you are not making yourself a student yeah. of race, yeah. there is nothing... In mainstream culture, that is going to teach you the nuance and complexity right. that this conversation should entail. Yeah. So as I was feeling a little nervous leading up to live recording, I had a a, a white dear friend, uh, very smart, um, try to kind of caution me about a about a few things. Mm-hmm. And I had to lovingly tell her, "I'm taking all of my instruction about racism right now from people of color. Thank you, yeah. but, but no, thank you." Yeah. And so, if you have not made yourself a very diligent student, you're just not picking this stuff up.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, it, I think about Brene Brown as she talks about this idea of you know dealing with her critics, and she says, "If you're not in the arena, I'm not taking criticism."
0: Right. Yes.
1: Right? right. And so that's part of it. Like right. what you're saying is, I mean, people of color, we're in this arena all day long, mm-hmm. right? And and so. It, we're going to have a lot more insight on it. But again, we're not, we don't know how to name our own, you know, experiences is what we're taught. Like, you right, know what you're right, talking right. about. But you're right. Like, and I say that, like, if you want to get better at this, education, right, or awareness, I guess, first is aware, just kind of like, let's just take it in, see what's happening. Let me get educated. What are some books I can read? Experiences that I can go in experiencing, put myself in different situations that aren't like mine. And then building relationships with other people and believing what they tell you, right? That's good. And so being able to do that. And, Thank you. And, and yes. here's, here's a, a, a kind of, as we can probably end on the story. like. You've, you, one of the greatest stories recently of white privilege that, I, that I've seen is I, was, I have this book club that I meet with in my neighborhood. It's all white guys in me. And uh, it's not always a fun conversation because occasionally we'll get books that have raised things and it's just, I'm, and I'm literally outnumbered. And these are Christian guys. All these are brothers Christ and they have, we have, oh, we have had conversations that people look at me like, why do you keep going back? <laughs> right? And I go, because I am an ambassador of reconciliation. I don't get to choose. I th- I got to do this because Jesus kept going back because I love these guys, right? Even though they say some of the most horrible things to me mm. uh, because I'm watching them grow. And here's one of the things that I was like, this was like, cake. We're reading Michelle Obama's book, Becoming, right? And uh, we read through the book, and I'm just like...
0: You th- got a bunch of white guys to read Michelle Obama's yeah, book?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it, we, we we choose, you know, because I've challenged them, like, hey, guys, we've been reading nothing but white men for the last year and a half. Like, we need to open up our, our, our box a bit. So the are reading Becoming. But part of it is they like to read those books because they want to destroy them, right? And I recognize sure. that. Sure. Yeah, so, but we read the book, and I'm just being naive. Just naive, Allison. Like, I'm, I'm reading the book because I'm just interested in, like, Man, what is it like to be the wife of a president? What is that other story? And, of course, there's things being talked about in the book that are race-specific. But because I think about that all the day long, it didn't really catch my attention as much. Oh, sure. Um, and, but when we got the book, like, these guys, I could tell. And sometimes we read books, and I can tell when I get there that they've been chatting somewhere else. And they're kind of coming in with guns loaded on me for this. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be one of those days. And I kind of felt that sense. And as we got into it, like, I saw that there was all this anger and, and frustration about her talking about the ways in which race impacted her life and, and she seems like she's doing pretty good. She's the president's wife, you know, but she still has this, this, these uh, ways in which she feels inferior and how she has to fight against feeling that way and, and, and the ways that the media portrays her and the way she's in that, how it hurts her and all these things. Uh, and so we're arguing and talking about it. And one of the guys finally says, guys, he goes, I think this is what I see. He goes, you know, when I was reading this book, it felt like arrows coming at me the whole time I'm reading this book but the interesting thing is if I wanted to I can close the book and have no arrows coming at me and what I think Marcus is trying to tell us and maybe even what Michelle Obama is trying to tell us is they don't get to close the book they get to do it no matter what position you get to you still got these arrows that are coming at you and I can close the book okay. I don't get to walk away and because I'm a believer in Christ i don't get to walk away from this conversation Mm -hmm, either mm -hmm. and i don't think any of us should Mm. it's hard and it stinks but if we can't do it then if we can't find a way to reconcile back to oneness because reconciliation doesn't exist outside of christ this there's no such thing as reconciliation in the united states Mm. because the races were never one. you can't put something back together that was never single that was never together right it's it was always broken we can, yeah. we can do conciliation, which is sort of the mediation of, an I- of issues, or racial unity. We can be working towards that. But you can't talk about reconciliation unless there was a oneness. And we as believers know that Christ came and he brought the Praise people together, God. tore down the walls of hostility, yes, Lord, yes. and made us one. And so now what we find ourselves looking at is we are separated from each other and we are divided. And the reason we are is not because Jesus did that. We did that. We're the ones who put the wall That's of right. hostility back That's up. Right. We're the ones who created the chasm again. Jesus did all that stuff. So we are, we are drawn, Allison. We are commanded. Not he, this idea of reconciliation, it's used in the Bible as actual biblical words. God, through Christ, reconciled the world to himself. And then what did he do? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We cannot ever stand before a people who don't know God and try to tell them and sell them on the reconciliation that comes with knowing God if we don't reconcile to one another. That's right. That is the worst testament ever. And you want to know why the church is losing its power (laughs) and why it's not relevant? It's because Uh, the people outside are not stupid. They read our word more than we do and they see the inconsistencies, they see the division, they see the not segregation, because that's legal, but the willing separation of the church. That's right. And they go, That's I'm right. calling BS. That's
0: right. Because that our it. discrimination that we vehemently say we don't have right. can be something as subtle as comfort with segregation.
1: Absolutely. And right? fighting for it.
0: That's right. Right.
1: And being able to go, but this is, feels good to me to be comfortable.
0: Yeah. And or lack of interest.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> lack of it. closing yeah. the book. Right? Closing the book. Well, it's too much. I don't want do Our
0: idea. As we as we preach the gospel and live out the gospel and proclaim that Jesus is Lord, not was Lord, mm-hmm. the idea is that the world should look at us and be intrigued. Right. That's the idea. And when when it seems too tall of an order, when we're looking to the top of the mountain going, I can't do that, unity is not ours. This was your larger point, but unity isn't ours to create. We Jesus already did already that. Did. God did the big thing. Right. It's ours to maintain. Yeah. It's and just- to
1: reflect. Mm-hmm. It's the and this is where when you get into the race conversation. And, you know, I can go all day on this stuff, but, you know, diversity uh, of, of, uh, of race or not race, really, ethnicity is the real word for it. Racism, a construct that's not real. Ethnicity is true, and ethnicity is eternal. We see that in Revelation seven nine. Like, all it is tribes, tw- tongues, We're nations. Right. There's, there's distinctives. There's yeah. distinctives, and it's this oneness in the distinctiveness. Yeah. Right, they're all there Praise in God. proximity to God. All tribes, tongues, and nations, but they're wearing the same uniform, mm-hmm. and they're they're you're swinging the same palm branches, yeah. and they've got Praise and God. they're shouting out Amen. in a singular faith. So there's yes. unity there, Hallelujah. but there's this other layer of like. Of, of not disunity, but um, just identity, like a different cultural identities, ethnic differentiations, almost as if God intended it, as if it was uh, right. something he said, I desire this. And that is the true reflection of the image of God. Right. That's
0: what's supernatural.
1: That is. Because we can
0: stay in our camps on our own, yeah. by our very own power, by our very
1: own strength. I've said it many times, we lose. If yeah. God's saying this is going to be the way in which my church is fully reflecting my image and experiencing me eternally then to fight against that expression means you're actually separating yourself from god Mm -hmm. right god said i'm putting myself in the middle of the heaven wherever it is whatever the throne room is here and if you want to be in proximity to me you got to be in proximity to one another you don't get to you don't get to choose so if you're up in heaven, you're like, man, this, this is bunk. I don't want to, have to be all these places. And you want to create a white church? You know what you got to do? You got to walk away from God to get there. Wow. And that's what we've done.
0: Mm-hmm. We
1: have created things mm-hmm. in which we are walking away from God. Mm-hmm. We're getting away from the proximity of God mm-hmm. just for our comfort. Mm-hmm. And that's that's actually a picture that C.S. Lewis gives us of hell, where it's mm-hmm. just people constantly moving further and further away from each other uh, because they're they, in isolation the more we isolate, the less we look like God. Wow! So, it is thank in the diversity so that we nice. learn about God.
0: Thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I tell you what, like I said, there are ripples happening in our community, and I because I'm a mystic at heart, I just, I love the idea of, because you know what we did that night, is that everybody felt their feelings, everybody was yeah. in a really honest space yeah. with the Lord, yeah, right. and I feel like that where there's honesty, there's holiness. Like, the God God can real the God of the universe can handle our emotions. He can right. really work in that space, and there was that on a space that night and you know it's not it's not my job to go out and manage what the Holy Spirit's doing with everybody but I am telling you there is stuff coming back that is good and holy and hard and I just appreciate your contribution to that so much you bring so much artistry to your ministry and it you're just an artist and I love the way you shine his light, shine bright and promise me that you'll do this again because I have like three more like very significant things that I need to ask you so, oh, okay, anyways, yeah, but yeah, we'll yeah. stop here, thank yeah, you Marcus
1: absolutely, glad to be here
0: Dear God and Father of us all you made all nations and tribes and tongues of the world in order for us to be a family to come together and worship you And then you gave us your son who taught us how to love one another perfectly. Increase among us God's sympathy and tolerance and goodwill for one another. Help us to appreciate the many gifts that other believers in our lives bring to us. Help us to see all people as people that you dearly love and for whom Christ died. Thank you, God, for the astonishing variety that we have around us. Give us bravery and courage to widen our circles of friendship. Show us your presence in those who differ from us. And do all of those things, God, please, until our knowledge of your love is made perfect. Thank you, God, for the prophets among us and their transcendent voices that cry out for justice and mercy. Open our ears, God. Help us to follow the truth that they speak. Save us from injustice that secures our own well-being. The prophets, God, speaking on your behalf, give them the fire of a lion and the tenderness of a lamb. Give them love for the people they speak to. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Please break our hearts for what breaks yours. In Jesus' most holy name, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And for this episode, a deep and hearty thank you to Marcus Lloyd. Thank you also to Pamela Anthony Cutright and Chen Redfield for music. Center St. Sister now has a Patreon page. Search patreon.com for Allison Sullivan and please consider giving your support. There you can find excerpts and extras. For this episode in particular, Marcus helps me put words to a situation where I found myself speechless. Please like, review, and subscribe and tune in next week.